I'm not sure how I'm going to make dinner tonight. We're three days away from a paycheck. Our fridge is empty. And our neighbor called and said, we have a moving truck outside. Our fridge and our freezer are full. Will you please come over and empty it and just take all of this? What's up, boys and girls? Welcome to the Let's Give a Damn podcast. I'm your host, Nick LaPara, and you're here. Thanks so much for showing up. Thanks so much for listening in. This is the podcast about people who give a damn, by people who give a damn, and for people who give a damn. I'm so incredibly pumped for you to hear from my guest today, Nicole Devereaux. Nicole is a conversational intelligence coach based in the Twin Cities, Minneapolis, St. Paul, which is a former home of mine. I lived in Minneapolis for four years. That's not relevant to this intro, so back to Nicole. I met Nicole and her family years ago, and she has encouraged me over and over and over again during our friendship. I think you'll have a little more sense as to why and how she encourages me so much after listening to our chat. She's amazing. I wanted to have Nicole on the podcast because during a dark period in her life a few months ago, she decided to do something really, really bold. I won't give away too much here, but during a time when most people give up or spend a lot of time thinking about themselves, she decided to think about others. And that's truly, truly amazing and something that I want each one of you as damn givers in all stages of life, something I want you to grow in. She's wonderful, and I know you're going to be deeply encouraged by her, so let's get right into it. Here's my conversation with Nicole Devereaux. Let's go. I'm so excited to have my friend Nicole Devereaux on the Let's Give a Damn podcast. Welcome, Nicole. Thanks for having me, Nick. I'm so excited to do this. We've been trying to do it for quite some time, and we'll get into why that couldn't happen at the moment. Uh, You've been so busy. I've been so busy. But we're finally doing it months later, and I can't wait to share uh, who you are and your story with the audience. So thank you so much for being here. Yeah, Um, I really appreciate that. Of course, of course. I'm excited to champion what you're doing because I think what you're doing and what you have done in the midst of all the ups and the downs and the struggles of life, I think will really encourage uh, so many listeners here today. So why don't we begin? Share some of your story with us. Share who you are. What are the kinds of things that made you into who you are today? The people, places, things, whatever it may be. And stop short of Stop short of when we met in Minneapolis, but just give us kind of a framework uh, of, yeah, why why you are the way that you are. Okay. Why I am the way that I am. Big existential questions. That's right. Like, That's right. Nothing, that. nothing scary. <laughs> nothing scary here today. Okay. Well, I'm about to turn 40, which I know we're going to get to later in the podcast. Yep. So we'll just start there. I've been alive almost 40 years. I think you know, the biggest parts of my story that impact who I am today as an almost 40-year-old are my large family. I grew up as the oldest of five in a Greek, Italian, Irish family. Um, And I like to name those backgrounds because there's a lot of stereotypes that go with them and they're basically all true when you look at my (laughs) family. So go ahead and assume away. (laughs) That's okay. I think one of the core things I like to talk about with my family is that um, we like to argue a lot and we like to eat a lot. And so those two things, I I mean, really genuinely, I'm a big believer that we are born with certain personalities and then those are nurtured or tried to be squashed uh, in our environments. And 
my inherent personality is very strong, confident, and argumentative. And that was then reinforced in my family setting. I really spent most of my young adult life, so up until the age of 19, believing that um, I could do whatever I wanted, that I was a good person, that, um, yeah, that I could change the world. And that, you know, I, a lot of that I honestly believe was inherent. It's not like our family had conversations like that around the dinner table. Um, I remember being in fifth grade and being on the phone with somebody and telling them like one of the reasons I hate shopping is that when I go into a mall or a store, all I think about are people who don't have anything. And that is like, I don't know where that came from. That was not, yeah, that's just a thing for me. And obviously there's some unhealth in that too. You can take that to an extreme. So I'm not trying to lift that up as a like, what a what a woke fifth grader I was. So let me stop you real quick. Usually when someone says something like that, because I am very similar to you in that way. Mm-hmm. And I've had times of real health and times of real unhealth in that area where again, like you like you pointed out, you can take that to the nth degree and it can it can make you miserable, right? Yeah. But I, I I can point back to and I'm not trying to I, I I'm just I just want to ask again to really see if you can pull something out because I can point back to certain things. One was growing up in Guatemala and just different things that were in my path that kind of helped me become that. I'm sure that I already had maybe the the foundational characteristics and talents and skill set for that, but there were these things that kind of birthed that. So there was nothing in your, you can't remember like a, a person or a thing that happened that kind of sparked that or that was truly just who you were at, at your core? Yeah. I actually have spent a lot of time thinking about this. So it's always, you know, anybody's best guess. Sure. Um, my parents are, were very generous people and we always had, we were a very solid middle-class family. I, I never had an experience of my parents saying we can't afford that or you shouldn't get that or you shouldn't want that. Um, so I, what I wonder, this is my, you know, hypothesis about myself is that I wonder if, because even from an extremely young age, I was a very outspoken and confident person. And especially as a little girl, I had an ego that was bigger (laughs) than warranted, I think as a young person, I, I guess I wonder if being so confident and so loud at a young age, I was being confronted with kind of being told I was too much. Mm. And so I, I wonder if I internalized that too much to, you know, the unhealthy place of, well, I don't deserve to buy myself something even if I can, because there's somebody else who has too little. And, and you know, that's totally a hypothesis because of course that was not the way it was ever worded to me. Sure. Um, but when I think about it as an adult going to an unhealthy level of denying myself, I do wonder if some of it has been about, you know, because I'm so much and I intimidate people or I'm too confident or, you know, at my worst, I'm too arrogant. Um, maybe this, I can counteract that by denying myself something. I don't, you know, I don't know. It's a got it. It's a good question to ask. Yeah. Well, if you ever get more clarity on that, let me know. But, uh, but, <laughs> But I think it's, yeah, it's, I think it's fine that you don't, you, you know, maybe can't point back to it. I just, I think that's always interesting because I I always, what I always try to find out with everybody I meet was, is, was there a big, like kind of, was there a big moment, like a big Mm. explosion in your life that caused you to think 
you know, to begin giving a damn. Because I think th that that's what you were doing back then. You know, there might have been some un health or unhealth in different seasons, but I think that's what that was. And um, and I guess, yeah, you're one of the few people that I've met that can't point back to like, oh, I read this book or I had this conversation. And uh, so where was all this happening at the, were you, I met you in Minneapolis. Did you grow up there? No, I did not. So my family moved four times when I was growing up, all within the United States. Um, I tend to say I grew up in Jersey because I was there from fourth grade through my freshman year of high school, which I would consider a very formative Very, very time. formative years. Um, and then again, going back to especially my Italian heritage, because um, there's a lot of Italians in, in Jersey, and my Greek side of the family was in New York City at the time. And I, I definitely have more of an East Coast attitude about me. So I, I feel like that explains a lot of things when I say I grew up in Jersey. So yeah, for me, I, I think of it more as my family unit, not necessarily the physical location that I was, um, because I liked to travel. I liked moving. I liked growing up in different places. I, as an adult, had a lot of opportunity to travel outside of the U.S., so I, I definitely see myself as somebody that's not attached to a place um, because I really am curious about other places and people. Do you think it will be important at any point to find... And maybe that's the season of life you're in right now. I don't know because I, what you just said resonated with me deeply up until raising <laughs> kids, you know, yeah. where like, cause I, you know, most people know my story. I don't want to reiterate the whole thing, but I grew up all, all over the world really. And all over the U S I mean, in the past, my wife and I've been married for 11 years. We've lived in, uh, in, in the past 10 years of having living in homes, we've lived in 10 different homes, 10 years, four different States. Yeah. And then, and before that it was all over the world. Right. And so I've always, on the one hand, loved that about myself, that I'm not atta too attached anywhere. I was born in New York and, you know, grew up in Guatemala, but I'm not really attached anywhere. I love that. But I also look at people in my community and my, th that I know that have deep roots somewhere. And they have something that I, I'm not going to say I'll never experience, but I've definitely not experienced it to this point. Because of my personality, I get to know people really quickly and well. Right. And I yes. have a big, and I have a large relational plate. But that doesn't sub, that, that's not a substitute for, you know, knowing a place for 20, 25, 30, 40 years, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and so do, do you ever think you'll get to that place where you find home home? Or are you fine with sort of living a, a sojourn or vagabond uh, life? Yeah, I think that for me, the, the way that I come across at that question is really from the angle of where do I need to be to grow? And if growing means I need to stay in one place and that's what's going to challenge me and expand, you know, my perspectives or my impact or influence, then that's where I want to be. But if leaving and being in different places is what's going to do that, then that's what I want to do. So I guess the answer is I'm really not attached to a place because I'm willing to go where I need to be to grow. So that's, that's really the Got it. principle. Yeah. Yeah. And so we, we sort of met during a transition in y'all's life. So we met in Minneapolis uh, toward the end of our time there. We, yeah. were there, we lived there for four years and uh, beginning of, I think it was probably late 2011, beginning of 2012, we met and were part of the same faith community for a few months. And you guys were around that time beginning to think about a big move in your lives uh, to New York City, sort of back to your East Coast roots. Tell me about that journey, because I think if I'm not mistaken, some of that journey leads into 
why you decided to do this big thing, which I don't, I mean, people are going to see it in the show notes, whatever, but I, I want to wait to, I want to sure. build this crescendo to, <laughs> to, what, to what you did and what you're doing. Yeah. Um, so did things happen during that time or what kind of, yeah, what was that move to New York City like and how was your time there? Because I know it was amazing and difficult all at the same time, right? Yeah. So just to give your re, uh, listeners a tiny bit more context. Um, yeah, please. I, so up until the age of uh, 20, I was a really um, staunch atheist, kind of going back to that idea of like, I felt like I was a good person. I really felt confident I could do anything with my life. I had no need of, I, I'm a rebel at heart. So the idea of organized religion and having anybody have authority over me was just like, the biggest, you know, turn off uh, to anything yeah. that I that I might have chosen. And then when I was twenty, I had kind of a radical encounter with Jesus. That's really the only way I can explain it. And I was faced with this choice, and just kind of was like, "Well, I was a good person before I met Jesus. I might as well try this out. And if it doesn't work out, I can always, you know, go back to who I was. Like it's not going to ruin my life, probably." Sure. So I made this choice uh, after my 20th birthday to follow Jesus, and um, that hasn't stopped. So part of that was um, my husband and I partnering with another couple to start a church in Minneapolis in 2006. And when we started that church, we actually had a pretty strong sense that that was not going to be the end for us, that we were mm. going to end up leaving and starting another church very wide open to what that meant or when it was going to be. But we started in 2006 with that sense. And so we were very open with our partners and with the church that we didn't anticipate being there long-term, which was really a gift because then in 2011, when we felt very suddenly out of the blue, quite surprisingly called to do this, to start the next church in New York City, nobody really batted an eye, <laughs> which is which is a great thing to have a community of people that you've invested in for five years, you know, say, yeah, do it. You know, that's that that fits you. We've been waiting or not waiting, but anticipating this yeah, day, sure, expecting you know, that to happen. And, and we're behind you. So yeah, so doing that it was a surprise to us. Um, the process of getting to New York was hard. So we were called in August of 2011, and we didn't leave until August of 2014. Mm. So that three-year journey, and in, in those three years, not only do we have a lot of personal and vocational things come up, but we had our second child, which we were not anticipating. It took us three years to conceive with both of our children. So that was a very unexpected thing to happen in the midst of, um, yeah, sure. of that. Yeah. And yeah, you know, I, I, I think New York city, it was interesting. You asked about home and will I ever want to be somewhere because New York did feel like that for me. Mm. Literally the day we arrived, I, I took a picture of that day and I posted it on social media and I had people reach out to me and say, I haven't seen you look like that like since i've known you i've never wow. seen you look that way and it really to me i felt like symbolized this fact that i felt more at home in that place than i had ever felt anywhere i lived my whole life um and you can tell i'm tearing up because i laughed <laughs> so yeah. it's a hard place um 
So yes, being in New York was amazing and incredible for all the reasons people could imagine and maybe some reasons you can't. We, we had two young children and a lot of people think New York is a difficult place to raise a city and it is, and it's also a wonderful place. And just really quickly, one example of that is the homeless population in New York is very high. And of course, there are a lot of complicated factors that go into homelessness. But because we walked in New York and we didn't drive in a car, we literally walked by homeless people in our neighborhood every day. And the same people sat in the same places. So we could actually have conversations with them. We knew their names. We could hear their stories. We could have meals with them. And my kids were just encountering and engaging with homelessness yeah. in a way simply because we had to walk. You know what I mean? Like it was, it wasn't something we just drove by and it wasn't just a faceless person because since it was the same people, you know, it, they were part of our community the way everybody else that we saw every day when we took a walk was, you know? And I think that there was just a real gift in that and my kids getting, and, and I mean, honestly, we were blessed with homeless people that were really honest with us about their situation. So my kids got to hear about addiction. They got to hear about mental illness. They got to hear about a lot of things um, just by being in proximity to it. Do you know what I mean? No, I do. I do. I've, I think I've, I've shared this with you all. And it's sort of common knowledge that, you know, I'm, I'm from New York. My wife is from Pennsylvania. Traveled all over the place. She's traveled less than I, but she's, I've taken her on quite the journey since we've gotten married as well. And um, <laughs> our, our dream is we got engaged in New York City. Our dream has always been to, you know, move to yeah. New York City and never leave, right? Which yeah. I think was probably, probably your dream as well, right? Like it was just like go there. And like you said, you felt like that's, this is home. Um, it truly is, you know. Well, it is home for you too, geographically. You're from Jersey and I'm from New York. Like that is like, I'm a Northeasterner in every way, shape or form. We've, we've kind of tossed around the idea of moving to LA for some, some things that I would love to do that LA makes it easier to do. And people, every single time they're like, you are not, you are the opposite of, you, you yeah. guys are just not LA people. You're New York people. But when I've talked to, We've had a bunch of people say, don't move there with your three kids. That's the worst fucking idea you could ever do. Like, don't take, don't raise them there. That's, and they give all these reasons, right? They've got this long list of reasons for not raising kids there. And almost every one of those reasons that they say, don't move there for are the reasons that I want to move mm. there for. Not because I, and I don't think you either, like not that you want to intentionally put your kids in danger or in harm's way, but I, as a kid that grew up in Guatemala at the time, one of the most dangerous countries in the world. I know how much I have benefited from seeing hard things and having to grapple with those hard things, having to process through them. All the things that you're saying regarding New York City, I'm like, I'm tracking with you for sure. Yeah. Well, and something for people too, because of course, let's remember, I'm mourning the fact that we left. Right, right, right. <laughs> so something I, that I guess I want to just touch on is because of proximity, I was able to have conversations with my kids that, you know, aren't as obvious. We're living temporarily in a suburb in St. Paul. But I, I do feel like something that anybody can do is be intentional about those conversations. Yeah. And and honestly, it wasn't just about exposing my kids. You know, it's part of the conversation is sitting with my kids, you know, and having them ask, well, why aren't we doing this for that person? Why aren't we doing that? And for me having to face, you know, I, I do think about that. And every day I make a choice and I wonder, did I make the right choice with sure. that person? And 
we can be having those conversations with our kids anywhere we live and we can be intentional about that. So New York City maybe forces the conversation, but just for all of you who aren't living in New York, (laughs) who still want to have these conversations, you know, it just takes the intentionality. So yeah, so New York was awesome in a lot of ways. The other thing that people will tell you about New York and everybody who lives there does say this, it's also a pressure cooker and the level of intense pressure that you feel simply existing in that city is um, off the charts. I I don't know it anywhere else in this country. I do think that it is somewhat similar to people who live in a cross-cultural environment overseas. Um, Just the the intensity of how to get through every single day is, is just really high. And I would say that being in New York for me for the first time in my life I deeply deeply experienced my worst days and my greatest joys at exactly the same time wow. and I just I think in my head I theoretically thought that could happen especially um you know for people who don't know like as Christians we talk about suffering and joy a lot commingling so it was certainly a theory in my head but I would say that the time we were in New York for me was almost a daily experience of my lowest low and my highest high happening right at the same time. And um, that was that was uh, a growing, <laughs> pointing back to what I said earlier, that was definitely a growth experience. <laughs> yeah. So speaking of, speaking of low lows and high highs, you decided to do something really crazy a yes. few months ago. You decided, and let me just lay this out and correct me if I'm wrong. It seems like a pretty simple formula, but I might I might mess it up. Sure. You decided that you wanted to raise $40,000 in the 40 weeks leading up to your 40th birthday, correct? Yes. I remember months ago when you said that, I had two feelings. One was like, hell yeah, like go girl, like you can do this. But the other one was like, that's $1,000 a week. Mm. Like that's, it's a pretty intense goal. For mm-hmm. someone that I think you would admittedly say, like, you don't have a huge platform, right? You've got great oh, community, no. great friends and family, but you don't have a huge platform. You're not a celebrity. You haven't written a book. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. that, that that would even seem ambitious for somebody with a bigger platform to do. But then you came out and said $40,000 in the 40 weeks leading up to your 40th birthday. So tell me all, tell us yes. all about that. Why did you do that? And how's it going? And what is going on? <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. So last year on my 39th birthday, which is um, in July, I was at possibly the lowest place of my life. Uh, My husband and I were considering stepping down from leading the church we had started. Uh, We were considering leaving ministry altogether, which then was pushing the conversation of leaving New York. So those three things alone were um, really huge huge things coming up. That was in the midst of what had been, I would say at least at that point, two years of very intense struggle in our marriage. So we'll we'll have been married 19 years this year. Hmm. And alluding to what I said earlier about my personality, nothing I do is easy. And marriage is certainly (laughs) one of those things. We we never we didn't go into marriage with uh 
any pie in the sky rose colored glasses. Uh, we were we were warned and admonished and encouraged quite lovingly many times in our premarital and in our early years of marriage that um, we were going to have a hard time. So it hasn't been a you know surprise to us um, at any point. But certainly, you know, when you've been in it. 15, 16 years, you start to like hope that it will get a little easier. And so for it to have felt like it actually got harder and more difficult a couple of years ago, I was just kind of heart crushing for mm. me. I, I, I'm not one of those people. I don't have a work-based mentality of like, hey, I put in the work so I deserve good things. But when it came to my marriage, I realized I did feel that way. My husband and I, we were married eight years before we had kids, and we spent those eight years doing marriage retreats four times a year, getting marriage counseling, getting mentored. We continued um, the mentoring and the counseling after having kids, even though we couldn't do as much uh, marital retreating as we would have liked. Sure. And, you know, and so I felt like we put in the work, you know, we weren't. We weren't lazy about this. So, man, if we're going to put in that kind of work um, and still be in this place, like what is going on, you know? So we had that intense kind of situation. And then as you know, and any parent knows, like to have that going on and still be trying to create like a safe, secure place for your kids. And then we're having vocational uh, and life questions. And then there were just a lot of other personal things that I, you know, out of respect for other people involved, don't really want to get into, but I was just flat out depressed and not functioning on my birthday last year. I couldn't imagine being in a darker place. I'm not a suicidal person, but I was longing for death. I was the Mm. person going to bed saying, I don't want to wake up in the morning. Like, please God, Mm. let me not wake up in the morning. When you're in that place, actually being around people that you love can be harder because you feel like just the fact that you you feel so dark is actually being highlighted by being around people who you feel like I should be happy around these people because I love them and I care about them and the fact that I'm not is just showing how much I'm failing or how short I'm falling and so it just like I just felt totally alone I felt totally hopeless and in the middle of that, or in the midst of that, so I don't know where the middle was, because honestly, sure. I probably had been feeling that way for a few years. <laughs> um, in the midst of that, I just started asking, you know, what do I know is true? Because the thing about feelings, not just depression, but any feelings, our feelings can lie to us, right? Because they're interpretations of what we're experiencing. So it's not that the feelings aren't valid, but they're not always true. And I just felt like everything is hard right now. I And I can't make it be easier and I can't make it feel easier. But if I knew what was true, then at least I could have something to cling on to. And in that moment, what was ringing loud to me as true was that I have actually been given so much more than I deserve in this life. Mm-hmm. And I started thinking about all of the gifts that I had and I had been given. I, there were people who were sending us care packages, you know, sending us food. There were people and I, I did a I've done some social media videos about this, but I I am like 
the recipient of so many miracles in the last 20 years of my life. And the thing about a miracle is like, I don't deserve it. You know, I didn't make it happen (laughs) and it it didn't happen because like I put in my penny and it came out, you know what I mean? And I just- Didn't you say, was it a recent video that you shared where you said that you guys were out of food and somebody- Call, one of your friends said like, oh, we're moving and we've got a fridge full of stuff. Yes. Is that you? Yes. It was, <laughs> we, we were, That's I was wild. literally like, I'm not sure how I'm going to make dinner tonight. We're three days away from a paycheck. Our fridge is empty. And our neighbor called and said, we have a moving truck outside. Our fridge and our freezer are full. Will you please come over and empty it and just take That's all insane. of this? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Stuff like that, you know, and I, I've got probably a thousand of those stories. And, and so in the middle of being so dark and depressed and hopeless, I was remembering those things and I just kind of felt like, you know what, I'm, I'm empty right now and nothing feels good, but I bet that I could still do good. And I bet that I could still give. And I, I just want to, I want to give as an act of hope for where I'm going to be one year from where I am right now. So that's where it came from. (laughs) And of course, there was every reason in the world not to do it because we did end up stepping out of that church leadership. We did end up leaving the city that we loved. We are still working on our marriage, like major, major transitions that are bringing more stress into our life. I don't have a platform, like you said. Because I've been in ministry for 15 years, I've actually spent the last 15 years asking people for money so that I could live. You know, we were living on the generosity of other people um, giving financially to us, whether directly or through the church, you know, whatever, but it's still other people's generosity. And so to now switch to this other act of giving, um, yeah, there was all the reasons in the world to say no. And then I thought, and this is really where that let's give a damn, I think, really kind of can hit home for me. I've spent 40 years having excuses of why I didn't give generously, as generously as I wanted to. You know, mm. I, spent, I spent my life saying, I don't have $10,000 to give to that. I don't have $100 to give to that. Or I don't have time. Or I don't live there. Or I don't know enough about that. Or I don't have any experience with that. And it just felt like, well, I've been making excuses my whole life. I literally have probably the best excuse in the world right now not to do it. So I might as well do it now. Like it's not going to get any worse. <laughs> yeah, I think I think that's what, I mean, I, I love, I'm always trying to find different ways to communicate. And I'm always listening for people to communicate the let's give a damn, you know, sort of message in different ways, right? And that's that's one way to say it is, you had every reason to say no, but you said yes. And people that defy the odds say yes mm. every single time. Like you name a story, you name a project, you name a goal. And every single time there were odds stacked against them, stacked against him or her or whatever. And they said yes. And they went ahead and did it because you could have said any, any of those things would have been incredibly valid excuses. We're right. moving out of state. We don't know where we're going. We don't know what we're doing. My, my marriage is still not amazing. We don't have jobs. We don't have all these things, right? And you didn't say, let's raise $1,000 in 40 weeks. You said, let's raise $40,000 in 40 weeks. Um, and so you saw the odds and you said, screw it. Like, we're going to do it, right? And I, I, I love, I'm always trying to encourage people. Yes, I'm all about mental health 
and like watching your mental health and self-care and all that stuff. You shouldn't say yes to everything. But yes. <laughs> so many times it is just the, the, the thing that I try to, I'm trying to find different and better ways to communicate it, right? Because I also don't want to let people off the hook because mm. the same people, you can easily say no to too many things in the name of self-care and I need to take care of myself when I think you need to balance it with no, like life is hard and we need to do hard things. Like again, anybody that ever did anything great did hard things in the process, mm -hmm. right? And so it's always, I think, self-awareness, getting to know each, getting to know ourselves better and bringing around like uh, trustworthy mentors and friends and community to kind of stop us if we're going too far or not far enough. But I love how you communicated that. Like you, there's so many reasons not to do it and you went ahead and said yes anyway. That's truly, truly uh, amazing and admirable and commendable. Um, so what are you, the, the, the money, how, how are you doing yes. percentage wise? What are you giving to? How's it going? Thank you. Yeah. So one thing I realized right away was that I had to actually not be super attached to the outcome. I had to say, if I only raise $10,000 and I don't hit 40, that's still $10,000 that I yeah, gave truly. that I wouldn't have given, right? I mean, how many people who, especially in my situation where I, I'm not even making $40,000 a year. So right. how many people who don't even make 40 can say I gave 10? You know what I mean? And right. so right away, I just really had to keep telling myself, this is a big goal. It sounds cool, but I can't let it be about I have to hit that 40 or I or I didn't make it. Do you know what I mean? Yes. So that was one thing. Um, and with that in mind, you know, I've raised, so I was at almost 21. And then last week I raised over six. So I think I'm somewhere around 27,000 right amazing. now. It's been given away. Yeah. It, that is amazing, right? That's, that's yes. It's so great. And and the truth of the matter is it hasn't the bulk of that was actually not my friends and family. It was not people who were in my small <laughs> my small circle or platform that I had. The biggest give was a completely cold ask. I, I was walking a dog in New York City and a name came to my mind of a person that does not know me who I just felt like might be interested. And I did a cold ask where I asked them to give $5,000 and I suggested three organizations. Um, I have eight and I picked three that I thought would be a good fit for the person. And they came back and said, I want to give 5,000 to each one of those three. Oh my word. Right. <laughs> so that was a, you know, this is a, the fluke is the wrong word, right? But that came from a cold ask. That was not um, that was not me blasting on social media. It was not me asking people who are close to me and love me and want to, you know, help my mental health improve. Um, that was me. I, and I, I'm going to say this unashamedly, but that was me just being very bold and saying, all I can do is ask. And that person's response is up to them. And if they say, no, I'm not any worse off than I was you know, I didn't have that no. $5,000 before I asked. Right. And I asked for five and I got 15, you know? So that's like, uh, that was a good day <laughs> and then, when that and happened. Then, yeah, no, that's, that's incredible. I hope everyone that's listening right now is encouraged to take bold steps. Right. And then, and then I saw you this past weekend on, cause you, what did you do just recently? You gave away a trip, yes. um, you know, yes. in, in, in to, to raise, you wanted to raise $5,000 
and then one person was going to win a trip to you know Kenya, right, or Uganda, Kenya. Yeah. So the organization Amani Collective is based in Kenya, and they empower Kenyan women, particularly single or disabled or widowed, you know, like the forgotten women, with job training, employment, community, and then it becomes a very holistic thing where they're um, empowering them for their future dreams beyond, you know, working as an artisan. Um, they are providing childcare or tuition scholarships for their kids to go to school. So like literally in the entire family and then the generation coming are impacted by their work. So I wanted to raise $10,000 for them. And I decided to do a giveaway where anybody who donated a hundred dollars last week was entered to win a trip to Kenya. So the winner gets to meet the artisans, learn how to weave. That's one of the works that they do there. Go on a safari. I mean, you know, your trip's a trip to Kenya. I don't really think yeah. you have to sell that too hard. 100%, so, yeah. Right. Um, but on Friday of last week, when I got up Friday morning, I had only raised $1,800 of that 10000 So I just very publicly said to people, I believe in miracles. Here's some examples. I told that story of the fridge and I said, I just am going to believe that we're going to hit $5,000 by the end of today. And I think we ended up getting to 5,600. I I thought that was, I I want you to know that you encouraged me so deeply uh, uh, (laughs) because again, like, you know, I sent you, I, I saw your Instagram story. Right. And then I yeah. messaged you back and said, like, go get it or something like that. But again, the, I had two stories going on in my head. One was <laughs> like, how's she going to do like, how's she going to do that? But the other one was like truly cheering you on and saying, like, of course you can do that. Because I think we always have these warring you know, voices in our head. No sure. matter how good I get at being the champion and the cheerleader, there's always going to be somebody saying she can't do that. And and then I watched your update later on. It was like 30 something hundred. And then and it was like eight o'clock or whatever. And then by the end you hit, yeah, fifth, over $5,000. Yeah. I wanted you to come on to share this story because what I want people to do is to be ex- as excited about the ordinary mm. as they are about Chelsea Clinton coming on my podcast right. or this humongous nonprofit, right? That's been around for forever and they're doing huge things, the charity waters of the world, you know, like that's all like great. And I love that I get to interact with some, you know, people that have gone on to do amazing things and have tons of influence over so many amazing things, right? That's all well and good. But that's not most people. Most people are extraordinary humans like Nicole Devereaux that have marriage problems and that are had to leave the city of their dreams and had all this stuff going on that took out and, you know, did something bold. And so I'm I'm super excited that you're well on your way there. You have how many weeks left and how much money to raise? Because what I'll do is I'll put you know, all the links and stuff in the show notes if everyone, if anyone wants to help and contribute um, to your goals to help you get there by your 40th birthday. But yeah, give us kind of the update and um, how much you have left. Yeah. So as of this recording, and obviously there'll be a delay till when people hear it, I have about seven weeks left. So my birthday is July 14th. Let's just put that out there so you can do your own math um, when yep. you hear this. July 14th is my birthday. I do have about $13,000 left to raise. So right now, you know, I do have, I'm sure you'll have this in the show notes, Nick. I have a landing page so you can see all eight organizations that I'm supporting and there will be an update on there of how much I've raised because some of them I did hit my goals. 
Um, so not that I don't want you to give to them, but it would be nice to spread the love sure, <laughs> to the yeah. other, other organizations. Um, and they are actually, a couple of them are local to the Twin Cities where I am now. A couple are local to New York where I was. And then the other ones are um, national or international. So there's a lot of different causes or um, places that people could decide to give. Yeah, I think what I'm hoping for is... A couple people reached out to me when I did the Kenya giveaway and offered to contribute something to another giveaway. So what I'm dreaming about right now, and I guess if I'm going to say it, this is going to happen, is doing a giveaway the 14 days leading up to my birthday. So I'm hoping to have 14 different things that I can give away. And then as people donate on those days, they'll get entered to win those different generous gifts that other people, you know, said, Hey, this is how I can contribute. So if somebody listening has something they want to contribute to a giveaway, I would love to hear that as well. You don't have to just be somebody who wants to give financially. Maybe you have a talent or a product that you would want to to um, contribute that way. Just encouraging me to keep going is helpful. You know, I don't know if I'm going to hit that 40. Uh, it's so close <laughs> that yeah. it's hard not to want it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but I think this recent week was a really good boost of me saying like, I need to keep telling the story. And I think to your point, Nick, about, you know, ordinary people doing extraordinary things. Um, one thing that I have to keep reminding myself is that I have to keep telling the story and that that's my job here is the the only way this money happens comes in is by me telling the story and I'm not in control of people deciding to respond or deciding to give or what they think about the organizations I chose because you know I chose a lot of those organizations before some of the political climate we're in you know mm. where it, it it's it's not as cool right now to give to an arts organization. Just honestly, you know, arts yeah. organizations are suffering because they're not doing work with um, immigrants at the border or refugees or, you know, whatever. And so I know that that's hard, you know, but I still picked them because I believe that the arts actually matter in times of crisis like that, that the arts engage our minds and our hearts with the issues that matter, you know? Um, so I'm going on a tangent here. I guess my point is I I do want to encourage anybody out there who wants to do something big to just tell that story. And yeah. the more you tell the story, the more the people who want to get involved will find you, you know, um, because everybody I do think wants to be connected to something that's bigger than ourselves. And I know for me, before I did this project, a lot of times I just felt overwhelmed. Like there's a hundred good causes to give to. How do I pick just one? You know, I wish I was a millionaire and I could give $10,000 to every single cause that I cared about and still be able to live, you know, (laughs) like that was my, I seriously felt so overwhelmed. And so doing this project forced me to have some focus in and every day I know that there's project there's other causes that I wish I were giving to but I didn't pick them and so this is my project right now and this is the story that I have to tell right now and maybe next year it will be a different one you know mm. so I just I guess I want to encourage people with that just like be bold about telling the story that you care about and don't worry about the people who don't connect with it because we're just looking for the ones who do I love that. No, I think people will be super encouraged by what you just shared and by your story. So here's a big looming question in my mind is, 
you're a young lady. You're 40. 40 is the new 25. I mean, yes. Come on, let's, let's be real. Hey, like I 40. love 40. I've been wanting to turn 40 since I was 32. I have been waiting eight years for this. I'm, this I'm 35 life. and I feel the same damn <laughs> way. Like yes. people, like I just feel like 40 is going to bring, I think the 40, you know, that, that decade is going to be so powerful. I, I, I really feel we're not going to get in that conversation right now. Right. I, the, the things I'm building in my thirties, I think are really going to take, you know, come to fruition in my forties. And so I truly, I want to stay in the present in the moment because I have five years left in my thirties. Yeah. Stay there, Nick. But I'm so excited. So forties, a new 25, all that to say is there's a lot of life left. Do you think you guys, you or you, you know, you and your husband or, uh, you know, maybe once the kids are gone, like, do you think you'll ever move back to New York or are you, or is that sort of totally, is that door closed? Oh yeah. Um, well, my husband and I are both, um, for Myers-Briggs fans out there, we're both uh, P's, which are open door people. Yeah. <laughs> we like to say a door is never closed, even yeah. when it's locked and there's deadbolts on it. Well, there's, you know, you could break through. So exactly, I think what's important for me is to actually not be focused on, will I go back? Because right now that's a going back question. And mm. I'm not interested in going back anywhere in my life. I'm interested in going forward. And if there is a time where going forward means returning to New York City because there's unfinished work there for me to do or because I had to change in order to get back there, then that would be great. But but honestly, right now, my take is that I went to New York to be changed and to mm. be challenged. And even though it was my favorite place on earth and I felt the most myself there, maybe that was where... I, I had to feel the most myself so I could be other places as myself. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Wow. Yeah. So, yeah, totally. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, we'll see then. We'll see. <laughs> well, open door. We'll, well it is who, an who, open door. Yes. Who knows? Who knows? Uh, Nicole, you are going to die someday and hopefully it's so many years from now. But <laughs> yes. in this hypothetical scenario that I'm painting, I hypothetically, I'm giving your eulogy. Okay. And so- I have, you know, at that point, been a friend of yours for many, many years, and I've observed all you've done, and your family, your friends, everybody's there, everybody's present listening to me uh, eulogize your life and legacy. Um, what, what do you hope that I would say on that day? Mm, I love this question. I hope that you would say that I embodied truth in that. I was always willing to hear truth from other people, and I always shared truth in the most loving and generous way that I could, and that more than that exchange of truthful words, that I lived a truthful life. I love that. That's a wonderful legacy, and you're, you're obviously well on your way to getting there if you continue to live the way that you're living right now. Thanks, Nick. Uh, Nicole, people... I know ahead of time will be encouraged by your story and your struggles and your overcoming of those struggles and your boldness in raising this money for these organizations. So ahead of time, I just want to encourage you that people are encouraged mm -hmm. by your story. And, um, and if any specific things come in from listeners, I'll, I will definitely pass those on to you. Thank you so much for sharing your story. Keep on going. We're here rooting you on. And I know, I don't, there's no question in my mind from the miracles you've already shared that you are going to raise the 40,000 in 40 weeks 
crush it and bless and, uh, you know, energize these other uh, organizations. So keep on doing your thing and um, we'll keep in touch. Thank you, Nick. I, re I receive that truth and uh, I'm excited to keep hearing about all the people that are giving a damn through your podcast, through the audience. Um, and I hope the people that are being inspired by what they're hearing here. I'm 100% sure and convinced that Nicole encouraged you. So I won't even ask you. I mean, how could she not? What a bold damn giver she is. Friends, my challenge to you this week is simple. Say yes a little more often and be bold when you say yes. In the business world, there is a saying, scared money doesn't make money. And I sort of think that applies here. Scared yeses don't and won't lead to giving a damn or something like that. But say yes this week, once or twice or more, and don't wait to feel like a million bucks to do something. Like Nicole, some of the best moments in life as a human trying to figure out how to do life well have come out of shitty times in my life. In other words, some of the best moments in my life have come when I didn't feel like they were the best moments in my life. I just did something and life made sense after that. So I highly encourage you to follow Nicole on Instagram at Nicole underscore Devereaux. That's D-E-V-E-R-E-A-U-X. D-E-V-E-R-E-A-U-X. And if you want to learn more about her 40 for 40 project and or if you want to donate to help her reach her goals, you can visit NicoleDevereaux.com slash 40 for 40. All of those details, Instagram, website, her bio, everything will be in the show notes. You can find the show notes and all things Let's Give a Damn by visiting letsgiveadam.com. If you love what we're doing on this show, please tell a friend, leave a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts, or throw a few bucks our way each month to support the production of this show by visiting patreon.com slash letsgiveadamn. This podcast episode was made by me and my amazing producer, Chad Snavely. The music is by our friend and fellow damn giver, Propaganda. Make sure to check out all of his music on Spotify or wherever you listen to your music. Can't wait to spend time with you again next week, friends. I love you all. Peace.